Dotnet Rocks, episode 993, with guests Dominic Beyer and Brock Allen. Recorded Wednesday, June 4th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're in Norway. Oslo. 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 Because... Spending $30 on a hamburger is fun. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? So, yeah. it's, so expensive. Most expensive Big Mac in the world. Expensive everything. Yeah. Hey, don't take a cab, for God's sake. Oh, sakes. yeah. We care. Yeah. And the, the transit system's good. Transit system's awesome. Yeah. yeah you can get from uh, the, the train station to the, the central train station, which is where we're near, to the airport in 10 minutes. Yeah. And if you get, take a cab, it takes you half an hour. Right. And that it's train flies. Two hundred bucks. Yeah, two hundred bucks. And then the ca- and the train is twenty. Yeah. So it's not even the train's not that cheap. I took yeah. the tram yesterday to go up to the park above the above the city where all the crazy sculpture is. Yeah. Are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the tram's thirty kroner, which is five dollars. That's not a cheap tram ride. The the. Where the crazy sculpture is. Tell me about the crazy, the crazy sculpture. Scu- it's the... Uh, Are there thing? like a lot of naked people? Yeah, it's all, all, it's all the naked people, including the column in the center that is literally like a pile of pile bodies. Of naked made of, bodies, yeah. Of granite. But they're sort of abstract, right? They're not that abstract. Those pieces no? are not abstract. No? No, they're really? very... They're uh, kind of real? There's nothing abstract about None? any of that. All right. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> it's Norway. It's know? Norway. All right. They, well. it, it is a remarkable work of art. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm saying remarkable. Remarkable. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's roll the music before we get in trouble. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Uh, I found a very cool thing Ooh. online. It's uh, Veracrypt. Veracrypt? Veracrypt. V-E-R-A crypt.codeplex.com. It's a free disk encryption uh, app for Windows. It's uh, based on TrueCrypt, which is uh, a free app for encrypting oh, files yeah. in, in disk uh, volumes. Right? Yeah. TrueCrypt did. Yeah, TrueCrypt's gone. Yeah, so this is uh, based on that. Interesting. So the idea is that, you know, if you've got a bunch of files that you want to protect in a big bad way, you basically, instead of zipping them up and, you know, hoping that nobody finds your zip file. Right. You put them in a... password on the zip file. You put Mm -hmm. them in an archive and you encrypt them with uh, a password, password protected with this kind of thing. And then you can mount them as a drive... Uh, mount this drive through, uh, through the software. Interesting. If you have the password. Cool. And uh, Dom's sort of shaking his head at me. I'm sure he's got an opinion on I'm this. I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But, <laughs> Absolutely. But it is at CodePlex, and uh, it's uh, veracrypt.codeplex.com. And there you go. Awesome. Yeah. So the, we'll talk more about that later. So who's talking to us? I uh, grabbed a comment off a show 772, which is one we did with one Dominic Byer. Never heard of him. A couple of years ago. I'm pretty sure at NBC mm-hmm. when we were talking about claims-based security. Yes, I remember the show. Yeah, and Mike Branstein wrote this comment. Mike Branstein? Yeah, Mike Branstein. I know that guy. Where do we know that guy from? Uh, he was one of the guys who drove us... Uh, around for the distillery tour we did when we were at Code Palooza. We did a distillery tour of 
Kentucky? Did, yes, we did, actually. We oh went down God. to Bardstown. Did we, we do that? Really? We drank a I lot don't remember. of bourbon. I know. No, you know, actually, we didn't get to drink a lot on no, that No, we tour. got to drink a little. It was an educational tour, and yes. they gave us little sippy things. But well, we and I really know. appreciate it. Like, I knew I liked Maker's Mark yeah. before I went to the distillery. But yeah. after I went to the distillery, I liked Maker's Mark even more. Yeah, you really like, do you appreciate really saw why. how they made the product. It was fantastic. Anyway. Yes, it's that uh, Mike uh, Bradstein. Okay. And uh, Mike, I don't know if we thanked you enough, but uh, you wrote this great comment. A couple of years ago, it's 772, it's an older show, where he said, uh, what a great discussion, guys. During the interview, Dominic mentioned the decoupling of business logic associated with the authorization for performing actions in .NET 4.5 applications. Mm. Can anyone point me to some resources describing the -the out-of-the-box .NET 4.5 features supporting these changes? To which Dominic replied with the class... Uh, system.security.claims.claim authorization in the system.identity model assembly and a link to, I think, a blog post, actually, you'd written uh, in detail all of that, which is good of you, sir, to answer the question for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Mike, thanks so much for your great comment and obviously became a resource for folks that were listening to the show. And, uh, and thanks for your help a year or so ago. Uh, bombing around uh, Kentucky. Appreciate that. That so was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS and Android. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And we can go no further without talking about Pluralsight. Pluralsight is home to the largest tech and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of dev, IT, and creative courses offered by MVPs and industry experts and .NET Rocks guests. It's true. Many of them. They release dozens of new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. With a wide range of developer topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to our guest. Dominic Bayer works as an associate consultant for the Germany-based company ThinkTexture. His main area of focus is security in general and identity and access control in particular. He helps customers around the world implementing claims-based identity, single sign-on, authorization, and federation in their web applications, services, and APIs. Brock Allen is a consultant specializing in .NET, web development, and web-based security. He also is an instructor for the training company Developmentor, associate consultant for ThinkTexture, a contributor to the ThinkTexture identity model and identity server open source projects, and a contributor to the ASP.NET platform. And also a neighbor of mine from Rhode Island. Yeah, just down the road. Just down the road. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Hey. So, where, what, so when you heard about Veracrypt, and you know, I didn't really talk about the, the whole the whole thing here, but I guess, you know, TrueCrypt uses this PBKDF2RIPEMD160 with 1,000 iterations, whereas <laughs> Veracrypt uses 327,661 iterations. <laughs> That's much better. Yeah, so much, <laughs> so much, number much, much be better. better. <laughs> much better. So, so anyway... No, I was just nodding my head before you mentioned that it's based on TrueCrypt because, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, not many people on this planet have the, the skills to write a crypto library. Mm-hmm. And TrueCrypt were, were 
some of them. Yeah. And uh, the, um, and in just, just in general, you shouldn't in, invent your own yeah, it's, cryptography. It's, it's one of those great... You know, remember in the beginning of .NET when the guy said, I would just write my own garbage collector, right? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, a yeah, sign yeah, of, yeah. okay, so you're insane, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> you're wrong. You're never going to be right with this. And you know my crazy friend Arthur, yes. right? Yeah, no, it's no, good. It's, it's good, good, yeah. yeah. We listen, listen, you, we come over and my, my wife, she puts whole head of goat in pot and boils it, we eat. It's good. What? What? No, it's good. No, it's good. We did 2005 road trip. We did that carrot. We did Arthur all the way across well, country. anyway, he <laughs> says to me one day, I make my own encryption algorithm. I use it in product. And I was like, what are you talking? What are you doing? Are you crazy? That's crazy. But, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. He's crazy. But there is a handful of people who can really do this. Yeah. And it's even weirder that just, you know, from one day to the other, the true, the true group guy said we are done. <laughs> really? Yeah. And last they, week. They shut down their business. Everything. Now, did they go bankrupt or they? No, it, it's an open source project, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, they they just had a message on the website saying we're done, wow. and nobody nobody really knows what's going on. I okay. mean, there, there were some tweets in between saying we just lost interest, which I don't believe really. I Maybe mean, even Bruce Schneier said like TrueCrypt. WTF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe uh, and it, it might be, a, you know, yeah, and many compare it to Lavabit, what, what happened to Lavabit, hmm. which is the email company that Snowden used that had right. to shut down well, yeah, one day I to the other. Maybe, maybe uh, the NSA got I don't know. their hands in there. Who knows? It's, you know, I don't really know what's going yeah, on. It, it, it's just weird because TrueCrypt was like the most popular open source crypto library out there. Yeah, but that's, you know, Veracrypt is the public uh, open source project around it. So the code lives on, but well, I just wonder where the guys going to end up. It's based on TrueCrypt, but it's not... Uh, not the same. Yeah, yeah. Interesting times yeah, in yeah. cryptography, isn't it? Well, uh, it's, it's interesting times in general, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, you know, since, since we're doing this annual update, yeah, yes. um, it's worked uh, very well. It's, uh, it's, uh, I think we are right now in a, in, in, in the middle of a transition period, um, where, you know, we had these, these protocols. I talked to you years ago. Yeah. yeah. Like W's Federation and yeah. SAML2P and so on. Yes. And, uh, it turns out that now they are, they have their, their there's a new one to rule them all. <laughs> to solve everything. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, you know, that, when when W Federation was designed and assembled to P, people had like very specific use cases in mind. It's basically like someone opens a browser, goes to a website, goes and their website redirects him to an authentication server. Mm -hmm. You get a token, you come back, and then from that point you authenticate it. Single right. sign on. Mm -hmm. Microsoft passport. Yeah, or, exactly. Or right. whatever. <laughs> Just in in good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and. Um, that often lead to something like the, we call the trusted subsystem design, where at yes. the point when you authenticate with the website, the website then basically everything the website is doing is basically doing it on its own. And uh, when it's when it's talking to a backend service, the only thing the backend service cares about is that it trusts the direct caller. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So at, at this point, basically, the, the the identity stopped at the website, if you yeah. like, of that that user. When we look at what we do in mobile development these days. For example, then the services don't trust their direct callers anymore because right. why? Why would you trust a, a, a phone yeah. right. that, that you don't control, or, or why would you trust software that you haven't written yourself? Right. I mean, like well, Twitter. Well, I also see this pattern now in modern web development where the browser is making direct calls to services. Exactly. There's not. There's still a web server, but it's just this. It's more like a more like a. It, yeah. it, it serves the, the the single page. Yeah, that's right. It serves <laughs> yeah. the access to the service. Yeah, that's it. So and, you're back to the same problem that that the calling device isn't your friend yes so that is what we call the delegated 
API access pattern. Okay. Yeah, because basically the, 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 the service we're talking to doesn't trust its direct caller, but right. it, it has a trust relationship with the user that is using that piece of software to talk to the service. Right. Yeah, so, uh, so basically uh, we have to find different ways of transporting that identity over multiple hops. And that W Federation couldn't do. Interesting. It, it wasn't designed for That's that. That's not what it was for. Because as soon as you say that, my experience as an enterprise guy, like transporting identities across multiple hops gives me chills instantly. Kerberos. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 this is, the answer is don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I hope you have a better answer. Yes, uh, because that's pretty common and, and it works pretty well. I mean, in my opinion, the main problem why Kerberos delegation never worked is because Microsoft was hiding the right knobs in AD to configure it. <laughs> I mean, uh, Kerb uh, I mean, uh, we're getting off, tra off track here, but in, in Kerberos, we have the service principle names. Yeah. And uh, if you're doing MIT Kerberos, they say, like, you have to set up a service principle name for every single service that you want to run because that's how it works. In AD, they just implicitly do that. Yes. Uh, under certain constraints. And if you are outside these constraints, it's, it stops working. And no normal admin knows how to fix that. And uh, the, the good thing about these newer protocols is that they were designed with delegation as, you know, as a first-class citizen. Right. So that's OAuth, basically. Yeah? Pretty popular yeah. protocol. Right. It, is, it is made for requesting access tokens for services. Right. The issue is that many, many companies took this OAuth protocol and turned it into something it wasn't designed for. Namely for the authentication use case again. Gee, that's never happened before. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So we have Facebook authentication and Google authentication and uh, GitHub authentication. And they're all using OAuth for authentication, but OAuth isn't an authentication protocol. <laughs> so that's the reason why we have like uh, a client library for Facebook and a client library for Google and a client library for all of the other ones because right. they work differently under the covers. They yeah. just call it OAuth because that sounds good. That's what people know. So OAuth, it must be good. It's got oh, a good reputation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and OAuth, obviously, yeah. no, it, it's not authentication, it's authorization. Authorization, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's why we called it off. Because yeah. it's specific, right? <laughs> exactly. It tells us exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Off. It, it's yeah. maybe a bad name, yeah. So uh, both Brock and me, we're, we are working with customers that want to do both. They have the authentication use case, yeah. but also the delegated API access use case. And now you end up with two protocols coming from two different decades, even. Yeah. Like WS Federation written by the, the XML guys, yeah. and OAuth coming from the JSON HTTP mindset, yes. basically. And they don't really work very well together. No, no, they're totally different approaches. Yes, and that's why there is this new thing to rule them all <laughs> called OpenID Connect. Okay. So OpenID Connect is an authentication protocol, right. which is based on OAuth. So basically, all of these, uh, you know, propriety extensions that Facebook and so on did, they standardized it to one extension to it. Right. So basically, they added certain concepts to it, like a uh, um, different, uh, you know, st st standardizing the token types, standardizing the crypto to validate those tokens, mm -hmm. and standardizing the messaging formats going back and forward. And now, basically, what you get, and that is, I think, the biggest achievement, is one protocol that does both authentication and delegated API access. Right. And you can do it in a single round trip. So basically, you can go to a server and say, mm -hmm. hey, give me an authentication token and an access token. Right. And that is different to Kerberos, where you, you had an access, you, yeah, you, you started with an identity token and yep. turned it into an access token yes. by going back to AD and saying, hey, please, can you make magic happen for me? Yeah. In OpenID Connect, they have a different approach. They give you two tokens, and each has a very specific purpose. So there's not so much, you know, black magic going Plus on. Plus, it's right? not named after a three-headed dog. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a bad image. Cerberus. Yeah, I know. It's okay. close. Close. It's close. But uh, um, here's the thing. It's like as great as the APIs always are, it's always the, the, the trick is in ad- adaptation, you know? How well is it going to be adopted? How easy is it for, uh, for everybody else? And I don't mean technologically because... The, the issue is never technological. It's political and it's, you know, business. Mm. And mm. what are the incentives for companies to implement this? Cross-platform, for example. I mean, W Federation was born in the Microsoft world. Right. Uh, SAML2P was born in the Java world. If you're having a, 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 like a data center which has both technologies, you pretty much have a problem. Mm. Because W Federation doesn't like SAML2P and vice versa. Mm. And uh, the, the story with OpenD Connect is, and I'm, I'm doing a talk today showing that, it's pretty much like, um, so I, I went through the exercise of creating uh, a client web application that, that authenticates OpenD Connect without using a single framework. Wow. Yeah, just, just, you know, writing the code by hand. No wow. kidding. And it's, it's 30 lines of code. So what is it? REST? Just yes, basic it's, it's basically a, a, a redirect with the right query string parameters. Hmm. You get back a, a post. In, inside, of, inside of that post is a token. And, and the only library you need probably is a token that can, uh, a library that, that can validate JSON web tokens, which is a standard token format these days and which is pretty common over, over all platforms. Hmm. So it, it's 30 lines of code. If you, you, you would imagine you would do the same thing with Kerberos, WS Trust, so WS Federation. Federation. Yeah, it's it, a lot of XML. Yes, a lot yeah. of, a lot of, Heavy stacks needed to validate yeah. these yeah. signatures wow. and all that. Yeah, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I, I guess the, the incentive is that in the future um, it doesn't matter anymore because you know the, the world gets more diversified. We, you can connect PHP and Node and Java and .NET applications to it, and it, it's, it's becoming easier. What about the users? Are users incentivized to use this instead of the kind? They of don't see the difference. They don't, do they? No, no. Um, the, the interesting thing about OpenID Connect is it supports both modes, the enterprise mode where, you know, when you log onto your enterprise system, your identity is owned by the enterprise. So right. why would they give you like screens saying, hey, we are about to release your email to this application? They don't care, right? The, the, the application yeah, is owned. We own the identity, so, you use it. So it but doesn't really simplify anything for the user? No, um, but what I'm saying is that um, you, you can use it in this mode, which mm-hmm. is, you know, just the way we did it before. Sure. Or you can switch it more into the... the, the the uh, social mode saying like, hey, now this is happening with your identity. And you remember card space, right? That was the dream, mm-hmm. yeah? That, that the user is in control over his identity. Right. Yeah? I had that, all of my identities as cards. Right. And, and even then, you, you could, while releasing the, 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 or creating the token, you could say like, but I don't want to disclose my email address. Right. And yeah. that, that is built in as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's pretty much, uh, I, I think what, uh, a learning process over many years what hasn't worked and what 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 did work and that there's a guy um who, who who's on the on the board he says like the goal was to make simple things simple and the hard things possible mm. right mm. so that's the idea and okay. that's basically what what Brock and me have been working on for the last six months we were fiendishly writing code to to, to create the first open source implementation of that of open id connect yes for net okay okay so, Brock, is you you're writing the code here? Like, is, what's been your role in this? Yep, uh, we uh, well, you know, Dom lives in Germany. I live in the U.S. and uh, but we uh, we work together pretty well, even uh, despite the distance. Uh, Dominic tends to work a little bit lower level at the protocol, uh, implementing you know what what's needed there. Mm-hmm. Um, I help work with a lot of the surrounding infrastructure of the application. I'm my background's web development, so I do a lot of the UI development. Right. As well. 
So, but I think part of this is just making it approachable for a web developer of average skill to implement yeah, identity on his website. Yep, that's another thing is uh, our design. We're taking advantage of the new Owen and Katana uh, mm-hmm. hosting sure, model. Right. And uh, we've got a really good packaging story where we're packaging the whole thing up into a single DLL. I think we looked at it the other day. We're embedding everything else we're using. So all of our dependencies are all bundled into the one DLL. Wow. Right. And statically I, linked. <laughs> yeah, statically linked, basically. Great. And I think the whole thing's like two megs or something. 1.6 megs. Yeah, yeah. something like yeah. that. Which, to, I, to run which this includes whole, the API, AutoFAC, everything we use. Wow. And so that's the whole server. Are you doing a, a PCL implementation, a portable class library implementation? Right now we have dependencies on libraries which are not PCL yet. Yeah. But Microsoft is working right now on a crypto library, which is PCL. Nice. Which, if that is available, we can have the JSON Web Token library on PCL because that needs the crypto stuff. Yeah. Right? And once that is done, you know, I mean, looking forward, Project K, the, the, the new runtime on ASP.NET, yeah. we basically were pretty much from the architecture ready for that. We're just waiting for some, I mean, as Microsoft does, waiting to, to for some dependencies to go away, right. which are not PCLable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, because we've got other issues. <laughs> I love that. We're waiting for some dependencies to go away. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for a generation of people to die. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> um, It's kind of what describes my house nice. right now, yeah, actually. I'm waiting, waiting for things yeah. to go We're away. We're waiting for dependencies to, to move go. out. <laughs> <laughs> very dark, very I dark. Know, so sorry, is this Kelly. now a way, a new way for me to implement, <laughs> you can use your Facebook ID to log into my website? No. Okay, so that's not what this is about. Well, Because that's when you talk about the what ended up happening with OAuth and OAuth 2, that's where it ended up going. Admittedly, so, not I mean, right, um, if, if, if Facebook would take their proprietary protocol and turn it into OpenID Connect, that would be the way. Right. Google does it, for, for example. Okay, mm-hmm. so Google's yeah. moved to OpenID Connect. Yes. Well, if Google does it, everybody should do it. Yeah, Facebook has a long history of making unfortunate decisions in that area. Yeah. <laughs> young company, young CEO. Yeah. yeah. Twitter? Twitter is oh, Twitter is still on ancient infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so, so the thing is, but uh, uh, many have been waiting for that, yeah, that OpenID Connect is finally released. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, is it, and is it actually released? Is yes, it, still it, uh, it was uh, released uh, February 26th this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's... Um, you know, there, nobody likes a situation that you need one middleware for Google and one for Twitter and sure. one for Microsoft accounts and sure. one for, uh, you know. In theory, there's only one middleware needed to connect your application to a server, and that's right. the OpenID Connect middleware. Google are the first one that basically, they, they were really early, and, and I think Google in general has a really good identity story. Mm-hmm. Well, who helped build OpenID Connect? Like, there must have been a group of folks, and I bet Google was in that group. Um, yeah, there's, there's the OpenID Connect Foundation, they call it. Okay. And there's a guy from Microsoft, uh, um, Michael Jones. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a guy from, from, from Japan, Net Sakamura. I mean, basically the, the, the identity, uh, usual suspects. Right. To be honest, yeah. Um, um, people that have worked there for many, many right. years. And, uh, had, and it felt the pain and are not idealistic enough to go for perfection, but to come <laughs> with a working solution. Yeah, and everybody felt the need to simplify things. Yeah, just take it take it down a notch or two, make it a little easier to do. So, shall we run through the use case? All right, as a as a as a normal web developer who wants to implement OpenID Connect, I get your package. What am I looking to do? Well, so um, you are thinking about single sign-on, mm-hmm. right, and API access at the same time. So you could. Um, Set this up as one of your, you know, servers in your environment. 
uh, any of your other applications then, however many web apps you're going to build, spas, um, you just are going to trust this thing right. to sign on uh, and get your access tokens. And like Dom said, the protocols are meant to be really, really simple. So it's really not all that hard to, to plug in and start using it. So you, you, your customer goes to your web to the regular website, and because he doesn't have a token yet, he's redirected yep. on instructions from that website to your service. Right. But some of the goals with uh, building Identity Server is to allow people to customize it. They are going to want it to be branded yeah. like their normal website. So that's all on uh, our agenda to, to get done you know, next week, I think. To, yeah. The white but, label uh, implementation. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, so yeah, so we're going to allow people to customize it. Um, a lot of times then, when you go to the, to the single sign-on location, you then might want to use Google. So you could use sure. Google uh, to have your users log in. And that's another goal is to have uh, an extensibility system where when users come in from Google, you can then write your own uh, business logic about how you're going to link those users right. to your system because you're going to want to probably keep a, a local account for those remote users. Right. So there's a logic about you know transfer, transforming over uh, any claims that yeah. Google provides and with. Then, and I mean, this is a presumption of a set of claims. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, so this is the identity information coming right. in from so Google. So you're mapping to a set, of, a set of features to a set of claims. Yep. And you're going to set that up in your system, and then you will then package that up and issue them back to, ultimately, back to your, your front end for authentication. Right. Right. And off you go. Yep. Because we, we, we realized yeah, that even if you would use Google for authentication, for example, you still have to write pretty much involved code how to take that Google. Google will, will provide you with an immutable identifier right. in their world. Yeah. That, that will always be the same for the same user. Right. But still you have to, you know, now take this uh, and link it to your local data yeah, structure. you've got to map that too. You want to turn the Google user into your user at some point, right? Right. Um, because you know that's probably your business model. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and even, you know, if, if, if you use Google, you still have to replicate this code over and over again in all of your applications you're yes. writing. So one thing we do is we allow you to hoist that that mapping and linking logic to a central location, and so so that it works the same for all of your applications. Right. So you, so you don't have an overhead for each app that you're building in. Well, you have the minimum overhead. And it's again, it's it's it's, it's security code, yeah. And what yeah. I, I and I, I typically want that my business or my you know my, my domain specific applications are written by the experts in that area which right. are typically not, not security experts no. let the security stuff to the security guys yeah um, and then and, and also have a smaller attack surface and, yeah. um, and, it, it is, and my my domain expert developers need to know what claim is relevant to their given feature and that's it don't need right. to know anything else right there's a little bit of, of infrastructure that goes into each app to make sure that that process goes yeah. on after that you're just mapping claims and uh, Microsoft um, have has a preview now of their OpenID Connect middleware for okay. .NET, which is part of Katana Free, which will be released in mid mid July, something like that. Yeah, probably and right around the time the show's coming out, so we'll be close. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, um, for um, a developer, it's basically like adding four lines of code to your startup file, and that's it. And suddenly, and you're that, up and that's going. how you connect to Identity Server. How, if I'm not going to go to, and I presume this is on ThinkTexture to download? It's on GitHub. It's on GitHub. So yeah. we'll make sure we get a link to the project so folks can go and get it. Uh, who else is building this? Or what, I mean, is Microsoft going to provide mm -hmm. something in this area as well? So if you go to the OpenID Connect uh, page, uh, openid.net slash connect, there's a list of libraries and products out there which already support it. Um, open source products, uh, paid products, and we are actually uh, being approached by this OpenID Connect Foundation to take uh, part in interop testing. So, because one of the big goals, obviously, is that uh, OpenID Connect becomes interoperable. I yeah. Mean, 
that's the you the, want the, multiple implementations of this. Yes. Life is better when different organizations using different languages yeah. and different platforms all speak the same set of protocols. Right, and so we are in a pretty good neighborhood of the who's who in identity. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know IBM, Microsoft, Ping, Salesforce, uh, the Deutsche Telekom. I mean, all the big players out there have something going on. And they all participate in this interrupt testing to make sure that actually the implementations are compatible right. and can give feedback to the spec writers that where there are ambiguities, for example. Well, what, in the, and you're just describing what really went wrong with the whole OAuth debacle. Exactly. There was not even an attempt to mm -hmm. do that. Everybody did their own thing. Which is, you know, part of the problem was the spec itself because it, it you know, they, they, they had to rename the OAuth 2 protocol to the OAuth 2 framework at some point. Yes. <laughs> because it, it, it just became too, you know. <laughs> It's uh, authorization, guys! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with OpenID Connect, they're trying to constrain it again to, yeah. make, you know, to, to make it easier to create an implementation which, which uh, interrupts. Okay, let's, let's talk a little on the enterprise side of this. Because, you know, sometimes that's what I do for a living. So I put my enterprise hat on, and so uh, right away, I'm living in an Active Directory world, right? I've got guys who are managing identity that God way. God love you. Somebody's got to do it, man. So, how hard is OpenID Connect to make visible to AD? Well, you know, Microsoft already has a solution to that called ADFS. Right. Um, and I, I would imagine, I don't know for sure, that they could just add an OpenID Connect endpoint to ADFS. Right. So, you set up federated services, and for a long time, the only time you ran federated services is that you wanted to make uh, external part of your Active Directory externally visible. Mm -hmm. Like for most of my customers who are actually using ADFS, it's been to migrate their Exchange servers to the cloud because mm -hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a different role for ADFS in my mind because this is a permanent role. This is I want a, I'm not going to do Digest authentication through IIS so that IIS owns this. I'm going to do identification in a completely different mm. way to Active Directory still for my web services. Yeah, I mean. Like when the first, ver no, the second version of ADFS came out, it was pretty much like a, an add-on application you had to install on the server. And yeah. in the newest version of the Windows Server, they turned into an NT service, so it feels more like it's an integrated part of yeah. AD now. Yeah, Server 2012 R2, right. because ADFS Microsoft just cannot <laughs> seem to name <laughs> Windows version you know, sensibly. How many years have we been doing this show, uh, and how many years have we been picking on Microsoft for, for their naming? Because they keep doing it. Uh, you so, know, it must be a legal problem. 2012 something. R2 runs... Uh, ADFS-free. <laughs> don't say that. I've already, we're on the run as side. We did a show for that. Oh, I got geez. in trouble for calling it ADFS version okay. 3. It's ADFS for server 2012 R2, right. apparently. Some call it ADFS 2.2. Yeah. Oh, well. really? Yeah, because uh, there was 2.2, then 2.1 yes. was the one in 2012. And it, in 2012 R2, they didn't give it a name at all. So right. many, many call it either 3 or 2.2. 2.2. But it, <laughs> and it does feel like a 3. From yes. an, as, when I wear my ops hat, it's like, A, absolutely better than the OS. It's no longer an optional feature. If you run Active Directory, you have this. And, uh, these, and these new sets of endpoints, like it is a much more sophisticated product now. Like everything else Microsoft's done for the past 20-something years we've been doing yep. this, version 3 is the magic version. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. So, for example, Azure Active Directory already has OpenID Connect support. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the things we were doing back in 2008 in the first incarnations of ADFS, which is how we exposed uh, Azure to our 
enterprise uh, identity information so that we could actually have stuff up in the cloud that uses the same identities. And it was hard. Like, just not an easy thing yeah, to do. Yeah. But, you know, this is the developer show. The challenge for me now as a developer is I really want to use this in the enterprise so that I can suck all that security code out of my apps. Like, as the architect, I'm pretty keen on that because mm. we keep messing it up and everybody's doing it differently. Da 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 da. Yeah. Just getting my ops guys to get upgraded to 2012 R2 gets us most of the way to being able to use this stuff. I mean, this, the situation is still, like I described in the beginning, ADFS, the current version, still has OAuth and WS Federation. Right. So they're, they're still in this world where you have to mix and match two protocols to get your job done. Well, and you, don't, I mean, you could say that the friendly way, which is they're not breaking anything if the guys upgrade. If you're no. making dependencies on any of these older approaches... It's going to keep working. And, you know, the, the other thing is that uh, our identity server can be either act as a relying party to ADFS or, right. as, or as a claims provider. So in both ways, this would work since we also support WS Federation. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. so... So you could just be a... You could basically add OpenID Connect support to ADFS just by adding, uh, by adding us to the picture. Right. So if <laughs> you don't example, want to... Yeah. Well, if the guy doesn't want to upgrade to R2... Right. And get this new stuff and reconfigure ADFS, which, and that's not a far stretch. Most of the folks I see running Active Directory are just happy it's working, you know. <laughs> Optimization is, you just keep the thing alive. So to say, you don't need to change this, just fire this other library up and we'll take care of it. That's pretty compelling. Like That takes a lot of stuff off the plate. Yeah. And the main thing is we still get to manage uh, our identities the way we've managed them so far. You don't have to give ops new jobs. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing we've been working on, um, do you remember the old um, ASP.NET configuration website feature? Yes. Oh, yeah. That just died a really slow and painful death. <laughs> Brock just wrote a, re a replacement for that. Oh, oh you're bored? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do over the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's uh, basically we want to provide something that, is, that allows you to create users and create claims and roles. Well, and, the, the, you're, and you're just anticipating exactly where I was going, oh, okay. Dominic, Sorry. which is <laughs> we still get down to this core issue of my ops guys understand users and they understand roles. They don't understand claims, right? And in the, in the latest versions of the OS now, a role is just a claim. When you say that to them, they get all scared, but I mean, that's the truth. <laughs> right, right. And so the biggest issue to me is what do we got to do to add new claims to an identity without stressing the ops guy out? Hmm. So that's what you're, you've done here. Well, so, so this new thing that, that we've been working on is uh, called Identity Manager. Okay. Appropriately named. Perfect name. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, no confusion there. Um, and we are targeting though um, an identity library that I wrote, which is Membership Reboot, mm -hmm. and um, the new ASP.NET identity. So um, we're designing this so that you know, like you said, an ops guy could come in, create new users, um, and you know, the, uh, it depends how you do the UI. Yeah, where would the identity manager live? So, so this, again, it would, web, it would be another web application. Yeah. Okay, um, something that can connect to the database that has the identity. Right. right. So right. probably want to live amongst the services mm. yep. and the identity provider that you've got. Yep. Is this separate to... I don't think you necessarily want to put it in each website. You no, no. It is, it, its own, it is its own thing. Okay. Um, but that's the same about how to get the uh, the ops guys to blend the concept of claims and roles. Yeah. This is the, you know, the job of the UI to kind of blend that in. So the way... You know, we had a lot of work to do on it, but, um, 
you know, we're going to have things like just your name and your email, and then right in there would be the rest of any other claims that you might have. And this is mapping back through ADFS? That is for all of the non-AD scenarios. Oh, okay. But, That's an important distinction. Well, so, but because yeah, we, we are targeting multiple identity management libraries, yes. so again, I wrote one and Microsoft has their new one. Um, they also have their old one. Right. Um, out of the box, as it were, we're not going to uh, do support for the old one. But even just to support two, we're building a level of indirection, right? An right. abstraction model for that. So you could plug in a provider, if you will, for the old membership provider. Or if you wanted to write one, you could plug one in that actually talk to your back-end AD system. Sure. Yeah, and, and go both ways. When, you know, you want to back this up to a scarier challenge, it's how do I make any changes to the claims that came to me from Google? Right? Is that just out of the scope of my app? What do you, what do you mean with change? Uh, I want to, mm -hmm. my, my guy's doing something inside of my app and I need a, an additional level of claims information or, you know, discriminate that's, further. That's why we typically say we use Google or, you know, these social ones, we, we use them only for providing authentication services. Right. That's when they are authenticated and we, we know they are unique identifier, right. we make them our users. Yeah, you maintain and from, from the claims they, that From yourself. that point, our identity data is the authoritative source of, of identity. Right. Yeah. So the so, sum so, total of the claim coming from Google is the ide unique identifier. That's the most important one. You, yeah. you, you often use maybe, um, you know, the first name, last name claims and so on to pre-populate the register form to make it easier for yep. them and the email address. But they should be able to override that because, you know, no, nobody wants more. There are a number of people who don't want to use the Facebook email address with their business relationship. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so you can use that to bootstrap the, yeah. their, your own business relationship with that user, but from that point on, we typically ignore the, you the keep, external you claims. You keep your copies. You yeah. keep a local copy there, and you take that preferentially over anything else. Um, let me jump a little further down the path, too, because I'm starting to really enjoy how clever folks are getting around... Uh, these additional forms of authentication, firing off a text message. I ended up, I got a couple of bitcoins from a fellow uh, that I want to bet with. And so he paid me in bitcoin. So suddenly I have a Coinbase account. And when you sign on to Coinbase, before you, you give me your initial set of identity, they immediately text you a code and you have to enter that code. I like that. That makes me, most of the time security is annoyance. <laughs> but that's one of those moments where you're like, Okay, right? Like I have a sense of, I have now have a session-based level of authentication. Not anything more durable than that. When this session ends, that token is dead as a doornail. I, that makes mm. me really happy as, a, as, as someone who just has a sense of, that's quite well protected. I just don't know how hard it is to make that work. Rob's the expert here. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's tricky. Uh, and you usually get it wrong the first couple times oh, you yeah. do it. So, but uh, I mean, that's why you want to not write it yourself. Yeah, right? no, you have, these, these have, should be standard patterns that people are familiar with. Absolutely. Well, and even implement it in your site, mm -hmm. right? You need uh, you need to use a library that knows how to do it yeah. the right way. Well, the norm seems to have been now when we talk about uh, multi-stage authentication. Yep. I, we're, you know, at the moment I'm traveling, and so routinely as I log on with various phones and, and my PC and so forth to Facebook and Yahoo and, and uh, Twitter and so forth, I'm getting emails from them saying, hey, got a login, familiar machine, but funny location. <laughs> Anything we should know? Mm. And again, I, you know, that's no different to me than when a credit card company calls and says, hey, we've seen some transactions we don't no, recognize. They just, they just uh, you know, shut down your card without well, asking. Well, <laughs> so I may have a better credit card provider than you because they actually call. Yeah, mine and they doesn't. Yeah. Let the transaction go through, but then they ask about it, 
which I like. It's like, yeah, no, I am in 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 uh, Norway right now. Those are th- transactions I've done. Thank For you. them to pull that off, they have a whole department that monitors that sort of traffic. Right. Well, I'm going to think there's some software there that's that's pulling relevant ones sure, up sure. and then pushing the information together. Right. But the same way, and I feel good about that. The same way I feel good when Microsoft fires me an email that says, "Hey, I just saw one of your devices logging in Belgium." Mm-hmm. If there's nothing wrong, like that. ignore this email. Right. If there's something wrong, here's what to do. Because mo- the normal people in this world, security is not high on their list of things. They don't know. Nothing worse than sending an email that says, something bad is happening. Good luck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to tell this story um, um, because um, a year ago or so, I, um, I used like, um, like a desktop a- application to read my RSS news. Uh, Google Reader, when right. it was still up right. and running. Back in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I came to Oslo and opened up my laptop, and the first thing I was seeing on the screen was access denied. And the second thing was my, flow, my phone was flashing, saying, like, uh, email from Google, like, are you in Oslo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and, and, and there was a link saying, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> that's, that's all I had to do. And Just then relax. suddenly the, the app application started working again. Yeah. yeah. And uh, many people say, like, ah, oh, but we don't trust these Google's, you know, but I think their security department is spot on. I mean, they, they invest so much yes. money. And I, and I read a post saying, um, from the moment you press the login button to the moment where you see the next screen that you're logged in, there are like 120 decisions to make. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. And, yeah. and they go, they, they go on sort of under the hood. The level of re- redirection going on these days, when you think you went to a website, I think Hanselman just put up a post about this too, but it was more about how many people are sniffing your paths. Mm. And they keep redirecting to feed them information and feed you cookies uh, are quite amazing. But part of this is a security process. And you know what we do is, since, since we have this abstraction model in Identity Server where the application doesn't really care about anymore right. how they authenticate, they, they go come to us and we do the, the multi-factor authentication for right. them. And then they, you know, then they come back and we, we just tell them, hey, everything was good. <laughs> well, and it's a, I'm excited about OpenID Connect because I think it's bringing single sign-on into some coherency. I'm waiting to see the same thing happened to multi-factor uh, authentication mm-hmm. just because this is becoming the norm. The expectation levels are going up. And it, I think it actually uh, works. It's viable. You haven't written enough code yet, Dominic. Faster, faster, faster. <laughs> you, need to give, yeah. got, you got Brock with you now. <laughs> faster, faster, faster. I'd love to, man. <laughs> all have a day job. <laughs> yeah. Actually do real work, too. Yeah. I mean, is this all software you guys are giving away? Right. Which, I, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's uh, it's not actually the day job, no per se, no. Yeah, but I'm learning a lot in my day job to actually do that. Yeah, well, for sure, and and getting a chance to to talk to talk to the folks that are really it's a, it's a feedback model. I mean, yeah. both the open source stuff feeds back into consulting, and the consulting yep. stuff feeds back into the open source, and, and the validation um, process too. That the, the you know one of the reasons I think people are so excited about OpenID Connect is that it's folks like you who are getting out there and implementing. You know, yeah, works as advertised, it is interoperating, you know, our protocols are matching up, and when they aren't, it's a bug in our implementation, not in the protocol. Mm. I think that's, that's an important part of the, of the overall equation. So, yeah, so, so for everyone who's listening, we are, we are planning uh, to have uh, like an art uh, release candidate by the end of summer. Yeah. And uh, feel free to go download it, try it out, uh, file issues in the issue tracker if you don't like anything, or, or <laughs> if, if you like something, yeah. Um, um, and give us feedback. That's the best you can do and help us um, get it right. Yeah, keep, and keep moving forward on it. Um, how are folks going to 
go from their current authentication model, from their forms-based authentication, from the old ASP.NET membership provider to this? Like, how seamless is that actually? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a data migration problem, right? right? They're going to figure out how to rework their app to, uh, well, remove that part. And the subtractive coding model is always better than the additive yeah, coding model. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, centralizing that, um, they'll have to sort out, you know, sharing that kind of information or, or reworking their app to, to accommodate that. But, you know, I, I don't think it's, um, you know, it's doable, definitely. It's, in, in my experience, switching from... Uh, Forms of authentication to an authentication protocol is not a big thing. It's more like the data consolidation problem. Yeah. Like they, they typically do that because they're already in the world of pain where they have like five user databases. Right. Right. And they realized, oh, we have, we have a customer and for each and every product he's using from us, he has to log in again. Yes. Mm. But, and now we have to find out how do we consolidate the data into a single database. That is the big challenge yeah. typically without minimal disruptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Brock, you said it right off the bat. This is a data problem. Yes. The right. software is right. not going to kill you. No. It's the, and I've, I've seen a couple of companies go through this where it seems to me the most productive approach has been being very public about it. Hey, we are redoing our security. Right. This is for everybody's benefit. You are going to go through some extra hoops here while we make sure we get your identities together. But in the end, life will be better. Yeah, it seems absolutely. like people will tolerate that when they know what's going on. Yeah, the a client I was helping last week, they had that exact problem where the same user was logging in to two or three different systems, but they had different username pa or different password to each one. At least, one. yeah. Yeah, and so that was what they had to do is they would they took those three databases and consolidate them into one, and they just had to pick one of the three passwords you know, to keep right. for those users. And they were, like I said, very honest about it with all their, you know, all their uh, users and said, yeah, it's going to be one of the passwords. You know, that's how we're going to move forward. Well, we've certainly been users of that on the, on the user side. We've been, we've experienced that. Sure. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we experienced that with Microsoft and Skype, for example. Right. Yeah. yeah. Putting know? MSN and right. Skype together. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those interesting challenges to just deal with that. And I think the more, it's not a secret. It's not something you should keep secret. It's like being public about it with the folks that are involved. Everybody, everybody has this problem in the rest of their life. So yep. the yeah. idea that our enterprises are trying to fix it, at least in that context, it's a good thing. How about when Google bought YouTube? That was another problem. Yeah. And, and that's sort of still going on. Still going I mean, on. Now they're using the, I Google mean, Plus even, even with Microsoft, where they now have this distinction between the, the, what do you call it, the business life IDs and, um, and the consumer ones, oh, yeah. Azure ID, for example. So they now, uh, they, they, they change their login page. You first type in your email address, and when you tap out of that, they do some uh, looking up, like, is this an account that goes into the bucket of the enterprise users or into the bucket of the, the consumer users? And then they redirect it to another page. Right. And then you type in the password first. I mean, Yikes. so... so same same problem, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they they started with the one live ID thing to rule them all, and yes, then they realized, they realized now now they have Azure Active Directory, which is the other online system yeah. they have, and and yeah. and, and you know, it, wasn't it? Um, Aren't you the same person though? That's the thing. It's well, like. But yeah, but you could be the same person, but... Um, well, aren't you, if you have one email address, yeah, aren't you the same person? You could imagine that at Microsoft, these uh, two buckets are managed by two different parts of the campus. Uh, I know, but <laughs> you are the same user. That's the yeah. issue, But you though. have different roles. Who was I, it? I know that. Was it Aaron Sconard? Aaron Sconard set up the original Pluralsight accounts mm -hmm. on his personal live ID. Right. And then there was no way to migrate them. Mm -hmm. So suddenly it's like, I need somebody else to manage this now. Mm -hmm. And so do I give them my personal live ID with all the other That's stuff right. attached to it? Yeah. Or do I, uh, you know, create something new and we have to recreate stuff? Like it's identity it's roles problem. 
change. And you've got to have a way to manage that. And I, I don't know that Microsoft's answered that particular problem. That's not an easy problem to answer. But it, it says sort of this reality of any absolute behavior, the one idea to rule them all kind of thing, it's really a tough problem and it's a mistake. I mean, we, we just had, had a guy in the workshop yesterday and uh, it's a pretty common problem, which many people are not aware of. Like when you're using a service like ACS, the Access Control Service in Azure, mm -hmm. and, they are, they are, and you're using them to go to Google and to Facebook and so on, The user IDs that Facebook and um, Google issues to ACS is scoped to ACS because that's actually a privacy feature. Right. They, they, they don't give out the same user ID to all that are asking for it. Nice. So if you're going away from ACS for some reason or the other, mm -hmm. you're losing your users or the IDs, the mapping between the it's Google be user. It's going to be mapping now. Yeah. And the only thing you have is the email address and then you have to, you know, go reach out to them and say, like, hey... We have changed something. Could you please, I don't know, yeah. Can you something. Yeah. please jump through the yeah. hoop that benefits us and not you? <laughs> yes. Sounds, sounds like a that's, data problem. That's, the other, yeah. that's yeah. the other reason why many people use something like identity server where they are in control right. of their identities. And, you know, using a third-party service, you give up some control, and sometimes that's vital part of your business. For sure. So uh, when do we say when we could expect a, a, some beta code? End of summer. I mean, right now we are in preview one. Yeah, gathering feedback. Um, the plan is end of summer to have a release candidate. Nice. And it's going to be on GitHub or was there a it's website? On it's github.com slash fintechture. Great. Dominic, Brock, thank you guys. Thank you very much. And thanks for your continued work in educating us all, us lowly people. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...